what our text is going to say to us this morning from the, from the book of Psalms. And if you would turn to me to Psalm 77 in your Bibles, and I will read our text this morning and then pray for God to speak to us through the preaching of the word. Hear now the word of the Lord. Psalm 77, to the choir master according to Jeduthun, a psalm of Asaph. I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and he will hear me. In the day of my trouble I seek the Lord. In the, right, in the night my hand is stretched out without wearying. My soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. You hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. I said, let me remember my song in the night. Let me meditate in my heart. Then my spirit made a diligent search. Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Then I said, I will appeal to this, to the years of the right hand of the Most High. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. Your way, O God, is holy. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm, you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. Indeed, the deep trembled. The clouds poured out water. The skies gave forth thunder. Your arrows flashed on every side. The crash of your thunder was in the whirlwind. Your lightnings lighted up the world. The earth trembled. And shook. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. Thus ends the reading of the word of the Lord. May he bless it to us this morning. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to speak to us today. Our Father in heaven, we gather before you the God who speaks. And Lord, we rejoice that you speak to us today through your word. And Lord, we pray that you would work in our hearts in this time, opening the eyes of our hearts to see glorious things from your law, and that you would show Jesus Christ in all his glory to us, that we might receive him and rest on him alone for our salvation. Lord, help us to learn to pray as this psalmist prays. In Christ's name we pray, amen. One of the things that I have loved about the book of Psalms as I have read it over the years and studied it is that it is a book that gives us words. Oftentimes in our Christian lives, we feel like we're at a loss for what to say. We're at a loss for what to say when good things happen. When good things come into our lives and we feel happy, We might think, how do I express my thanks for what God has done for me? But we also find more often than not that when 
difficulty comes into our lives that we don't have the words to say. We might even feel that we would speak words that are improper or not right for us to say. And the Psalms is a book, a collection of prayers, of songs, and reflections that give us, God's people, words to say to God, of words that tell us how to think, how to feel, how to respond to all the different things that we encounter in this life. It's a gift that God has given to us, God's people, as we wrestle in life. So much of Scripture is history or doctrine, but these are prayers. These are words that we can take on our mouths and in our hearts and say and speak. And the great encouragement of the book of Psalms is that God hears us. God listens when we speak. This is the very first thing that the psalmist says in this passage, is that I cry aloud to God, aloud to God, and He will hear me. This is what we need today as we face so many difficult things in life, just as the people of the Old Covenant, the Old Testament faced. How do we know that God will hear me? How do we know that God will listen to the words that I speak to Him? Well, God has given us Words that we can say, and we can pray, and we can sing. And this text presents to us a central question. Where is God in the midst of our distress? He says, I call aloud to God in the day of my trouble. Now, he doesn't define what his trouble is. He doesn't say this is the specific circumstance that I'm living in of what, why I'm saying this prayer. This is just general trouble. It's probably a prayer that this psalm of Asaph, these men, that they were priests in the nation of Israel, that they took up on a regular basis, whatever trouble it was that they were in in their lives. When life all around us gives us seemingly no trace of God's kindness, of His mercy or His power, we feel like we're left in the dark. We feel like God is absent. Or as one commentator said on this, the, the Psalms of Asaph, that God is silent. Where is God when we cannot see Him at work in our lives? Well, this world has a way that they try and teach you about how to deal with trouble when it comes into your life. It's called therapy. That you just need to get right with yourself that you need to learn to accept the circumstances of life, that you need to have self-assurance, that you need to reassure yourself that you're going to be okay. They don't look back into history at what God has done. They say, don't, you don't need to look back there. That's not reliable. You just need to look into yourself and find the resources to endure through the troubles that you have in life. They look within They might even say that you're a victim of circumstances, that, no, certainly you've done nothing wrong, that the world is against you, and the world must instead bend to you. And psychology and therapy, that has its place and time in in life, but this world presents it in a way that is just simply a way to make you feel good. It is not you that there is something wrong with. It is the world that has something wrong with. 
But that's not the approach that this psalm takes for us this morning. The psalmist recognizes the difficulty of the world, that yes, the world is against me. There is trouble. But he has a central problem. It's not with himself. It's with God. And that's what we're going to see this morning. Before I dive into the text of this psalm in detail, I'd like us to see the structure, how the psalmist lays this out to give us a bit of a guide as we think through it. Section 1 is verses 1 through 10, and this is the psalmist's complaint. This is where he pours out his heart before God, and he complains. He says, this is the trouble that I have right now. Where are you, God? And then he responds in verses 11 through 20 with his meditation, what he does in response to this complaint. And both sections begin with a declaration. He proclaims something about his action, what he's doing. You see this. I sought the Lord. I was troubled. I stretched out my hands. And then in verse 11 and 12, he says, I will remember the deeds of the Lord. I will ponder them. And then after his action, as he declares what actions he's taken, he describes reality. We see the reality described for us in verses 7 through 10. And then we see another reality described for us in verses 13 through the end of the psalm. And these are parallels to each other. A cry to God, seeking him, and then describing his reality, and then remembering, pondering, and meditating on the Lord, and the description of what is really true, what is true that has happened. We'll use this as we think about this passage this morning. But there's something that's interesting that occurs at the beginning, the middle, and the end of this psalm. It's the word hand. The psalmist stretches out his hand. In the middle of this psalm, it says, Then I will appeal to this to the ears of the right hand of the Most High. And the psalm ends again with hand. You led your people like a flock by the hand of Moses. At the beginning, the middle, and end of this psalm is hands. And we'll see how this plays out in this psalm. And the first thing we see is a hand stretched out. Now he begins this psalm by declaring his confidence in God. He declares, I cry aloud to God. I go to him in the day of the trouble I seek the Lord. And this immediately prompts us to think about What do we seek out when we are encountering trouble in our lives? Where do you go? What do you do when trouble comes into your life? Do you go into your room and lock yourself away? Do you go to the television, to your phone? Yes, of course you do, because this is what we all do. Do you go to substances, alcohol, drugs, Is this what the psalmist does? Is this what he is telling us and teaching us to do? He's showing us what we ought to do when we encounter trouble in our lives. But then a strange thing happens. In his day of trouble, he seeks the Lord, but what does he find? He stretches out his hands, but does he grasp anything? That's what we do when we stretch out our hands. We reach out to grab hold of something. But what does he grab hold of in this passage? 
when he seeks the Lord, when he calls out to him, what happens? I stretched out without wearying, and my soul refuses to be comforted. When I remember God, I moan. When I meditate, my spirit faints. The very one that the psalmist is turning to for comfort is he is finding it to be a source of anguish. He feels in himself, I'm turning to the Lord, I'm seeking him, and all I'm finding is more pain. I'm already in a situation of trouble, and as I turn to the one who I think can resolve and bring me comfort in this situation, I don't find any. And not only do I not find any, I find more difficulty. Have you experienced this in your life? Are you experiencing this right now? Are you enduring some kind of trouble in your life where you go to the Lord in prayer and you meditate and you don't find any comfort? It's just more sorrow, more difficulty, more challenges. It's a misery. And then he pleads in verses 5 and 6 for relief. He says, you hold my eyelids open. I am so troubled that I cannot speak. I consider the days of old, the years of long ago. And I said, let me remember my song in the night. Then my spirit made a diligent search. He knows that these are the means that he is supposed to use to find relief in his trouble in life. He knows. I go to the Lord. I meditate on the Lord. His object that he's meditating and thinking about is the Lord himself. He's holding God before his mind and his heart. And he knows that God is what will give him perspective in the midst of the troubles of life. But his soul is preventing him. What is it that is preventing him from finding relief and comfort? Well, he tells us what his difficulty is, what's preventing him. He gives us the reason for his anguish. He gives eight questions that he lists out here for us. And you will hear echoes of things that are true from Scripture that we know about God. He says this, Will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love ceased? Are his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Now, if you know your Old Testament, these are direct descriptions given by God himself of who he is. And this is what the psalmist is wrestling with as he thinks on the Lord. He's thinking about God. And he says, God, you have told me who you are. And I am not finding that to be true in my life right now. Everything that you describe about yourself, my life says to the contrary. They strike at the very heart of who God has said to us who he is. Exodus 33, God said to Moses, I will make all my goodness pass before you, and I will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious, and I will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. Again in Exodus, the Lord passed before him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, 
abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. What the psalmist is encountering here, as he thinks on the Lord, is that is God who he says he really is. God is declaring, this is who I am. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. I'm slow to anger. I'm compassionate. And the psalmist says, I don't find any of that. And what this is doing is calling into question God's very character, God's nature. It almost feels irreverent for him to say this. Can you say this about God? Can you ask these questions about God? Is God who he says he is? God has said that he is all of these things, and he is, the psalmist is reaching his hand out to God. I stretch my hands out to grasp onto you, my gracious God. But what does he find? Now, there's a difficulty in this text that you'll see in verse 10. There might be a little number there presented for you, the number three at the end of that verse that says, then I will appeal to this, the the years of the right hand of the Most High. There's a little number three if you're reading from the ESV. And down below, the text says to you an alternate translation of this verse. This is my grief that the right hand of the Most High has changed. And there's a reason why this verse should be translated as the text is presented down below. They're wrestling with the word for years. In Hebrew, that word is shenot. And that word appears up in verse 5. I consider the days of old the years of long ago. Now there's an interpretive principle. When a word appears once in a text, it usually is interpreted the same way again. But this word shenot has homonyms. Now, kids, you might know what a homonym is. If you don't, just give it a couple years and you'll learn it. And then when you're 20 years later, you'll forget, forget it again. But this is what a homonym, homonym, that's a hard word to say, a homonym is. It is a word that sounds the same and is spelled the same, but has a different meaning. We have lots of words like this in the English language, like bear. Now, the noun is an animal that you don't want to encounter. A bear is a large animal. But bear can also be a verb, spelled the same, sounds the same, but it's to bear something is to carry it, to carry a burden. And that's what's happening with this word shenot, is that this word can also mean that the right hand of God has changed. In fact, this word change can have the sense of being hidden. This beginning of this passage begins with the word grief or pierced. This is my grief. This is what has pierced me. This is the pain that the right hand of God has been hidden. The hand that has reached down to save his people from me right now is hidden from me. I have reached out to grasp hold of God's hand and it's not there. It's hidden from me. This word is used in Malachi 3.6. For I, the Lord, do not change. Shanot. 
Therefore, you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. But the psalmist is saying, Lord, where are you? Where is your hand that saves? That saves me out of the trouble that I'm in? So again, where do you go when life is like this? Not only when you encounter trouble, but when you think on the Lord and you think, is, this, is God really true? Is he who he says he is? So how does God lead us out of this? How does the psalmist find God leading him out of this circumstance? Well, he shows us. Like I said at the beginning, the psalms are God's gift to us. That this is actually God showing us how to guide us through times of trouble when even he himself seems distant, seems hidden from us, when his hand feels like it is not there to help us. And he begins by meditating, by remembering not just who God is, but remembering what God has done. It's one thing for God to say, I am gracious and merciful, slow to anger and compassionate and kind and showing mercy. It is another thing for God to actually do that. And that is where the psalmist goes, is to remember what God has done. This is the way that God leads us out of it. And that is the hand that is leading out. And now we see again a declaration, a resolve to meditate. He says three different times what he does. He remembers, he ponders, and he meditates. I will remember the deeds of the Lord. Yes, I will remember your wonders of old. I will ponder all your work and meditate on your mighty deeds. This doesn't come through a therapy session, finding some kind of inner peace in his heart, something he can latch onto in himself that's going to allow him to carry through whatever trouble it is. Or he doesn't just simply say, I need to toughen up and pull myself up by the bootstraps and get through this. It comes through remembering something that is objectively true, something that is historically true. And so he declares what he is going to meditate on. He's going to meditate and think about and ponder what God has done. He turns away from his present trouble and looks to what God has done for him. But what is the first thing that he declares to us? I find this first thing that he declares to be surprising. This is what he says. I will meditate on your, your mighty deeds and then he says this, your way, O God, is holy. Is holy. Is that the first thing that comes to your mind when you think about trouble in life? Is meditating on the holiness of God. See, holiness of God in Scripture is often presented as something that we are afraid of. To think on God's holiness is a source of dread, not only for sinners, but for all of his creatures. Isaiah 6, the prophet, when he enters into the heavenly temple in a vision, he bows himself down and he repents because he sees the holiness of God. But here the psalmist finds God's holiness is something that is, 
a comfort to him. Now, what does this mean? What does this mean that his, his holiness? Well, I think it's a couple things. I think it has to do with that God is hidden from us. That God is holy. He is not like his creatures. There is a Latin phrase that the Reformers and many people before that in the ancient church used to use, Deus absconditus. Forgive my Latin if you are any Latin speakers in here. But that is that God is hidden from us. As we learn in Deuteronomy chapter 4, it says, The Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words, but you saw no form. There was only a voice. We cannot penetrate into who God is in his essence. We cannot see his form and live. He is holy. He is always hidden from us. John Calvin in his Institute says this, If we aspire in earnest to a genuine contemplation of God, we must go, I say, to the Word, to the character of God drawn from His works, as is described accurately, and to the life. Ultimately, there is no one like God, that He is holy, He is unlike everything that He has made. Some of my professors in seminary said that God is more unlike us than He is like us even though we have been created in His image, in His image and likeness. Yet if God is hidden from us, not only in His acts, as this psalmist encounters, but in His nature, how does God reveal Himself to us? How can we, in a sense, see God? As He reveals, us to, reveals Himself to us in His works, in what He does. And that is why the psalmist turns to them. And his works are recorded in Scripture. He goes back to history. In fact, he goes back to what we use as the call of worship, to the song of the sea, Exodus 15. This is a description of what happens in, this, in the Exodus event, when God overthrows Israel. But he says, your way, O God, is holy. Your way is holy. What is God's holy way? Well, first of all, it's miraculous. It is something that is counterintuitive to the way that we would expect the world to work. What God is great like our God? You are the God who works wonders. He does things that nobody else can do. But it's more than that. It's saving. It's holy because it is saving. No other supposed God, no other creature can save. Only God alone can do this. And that is what sets part God as holy. That only He can do this. You have made known your might among the peoples. With your arm you redeemed your people, the children of Jacob and Joseph. There is no one like our God because no other supposed God can save. So what he does is he recounts the exodus. He describes what happens in the exodus. The people of Israel passing through the sea. When God parts the waters, separates them, and the Israelites go through on dry ground, and then God brings the waters back over the armies of Pharaoh and drowns them in the sea and conquers Israel's enemies. 
I have a professor in seminary named Dr. Brian Estelle, who will actually be participating in my installation service in two weeks. And he speaks about this psalm and says that it's wrapped in what's called a language of combat motif. This is a phrase that you probably have never heard before. But it's of combat motif. It's an ancient Middle Eastern method of describing the act of a god against his enemies. But the ancient Near East would use this where gods and enemies of of the gods were seen as equals. And that's why the god was then seen as superior, because they conquered an equal. But here, God is not portrayed like the gods of those nations around Israel. He is not shown as something that is warring against equals. He is sovereign over everything. God comes down in all the power and majesty of the storm. When the waters saw you, O God, when the waters saw you, they were afraid. The deep trembled, the clouds poured out water, the skies gave forth thunder, your arrows flashed on every side. The earth trembled and shook. Now, why does the psalmist use storm language here? He could use any kind of description. In the psalm of the sea, it speaks about the horse and the rider, specifically about the instruments that the enemies of Israel used. Horses, you didn't want to encounter horses when you were in battle because they had a much higher position and they could take you out quickly. But here he describes this event as a storm. Why does he do that? Because he's in his own storm. He's in the midst of his own storm in life. And that's how we often describe our trouble. It's like a storm raging. When we feel like we're drowning, when we feel the flood of difficulties overflowing us, when we are frightened by what life is presenting to us, when we're scared, when we feel like the strong wind is blowing against us and we're going to be blown over in a moment. That is what the psalmist is going through. And so he takes the storm that he feels is going to blow him over and take him out in a moment and says, God is the one who is sovereign over that storm. The very storm that comes against the people of God, God comes in riding upon it and says, I am sovereign over it. I will part the waters. I will direct them where they go. I am the one who is in control of the lightning bolts that will strike you dead. I am sovereign over them. But he points out one thing in particular at the end of of that description. Your way was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. I'm sure you've seen the famous photograph of footprints on the sand. And it's supposed to be a picture of walking with the Lord. Footprints on the sand. And we look at that as a reminder that somebody is walking with us in the midst of the sand. But the psalmist, in the midst of his difficulty, says, Nobody saw you, Lord. Your footprints were unseen. Yet we know that you walked through this storm with us because everything around us was a picture of your sovereign power over all of it. God was leading his people 
even though they could not see it. And that is why God's holiness is a comfort to us. He looks back on the past and history to see that God was leading his people even though they could not see it. The psalmist in his own trouble, whatever circumstance that he found himself in, whatever circumstance you find yourself in, God is leading you even though you cannot see it. And to us, God may seem absent, but God's ways are not our ways. And that gives us comfort when it seems like God is absent from our life. Because our perception versus reality are often two different things. The very moment when God could not be seen, and not even a marker of his presence, his footprints weren't seen, yet he led his people. The hand that the psalmist could not see, that was hidden from his sight, the hand that he stretched out to grasp onto, he found when he meditated on God's works in the past. And he found God's hand of salvation when he thought about what God has done for him in the past. What God has done for his people in the past. And you and I know that this all points to our Savior Jesus. This all points to Jesus, that we remember the great Exodus event, where our Savior has led us through the floodwaters of God's judgment against us, and where Jesus conquers all of our enemies. Jesus brings everything in subjection to himself. Matthew 28, the famous verse that we all know. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus is now the one who is sovereign over all things. But something else that we know. That God has revealed himself. God has shown himself. Exodus Chapter 4 told us that you did not see a form when I led you through the wilderness and through the sea. You saw no form, there was only a voice. But that same word has taken human flesh. He has taken a form to himself to reveal himself most truly to us. Philippians chapter 2. Though he was in the form of God, the Son of God, he did not account equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. John chapter 1. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. See, the psalm ends with the prophet and the priest, Aaron and Moses. But we know the true prophet, the true priest, the true prophet who 
reveals God to us, the true priest who presents us to God, that God has revealed him in Jesus Christ, who is our Savior from the storms in our life. See, the psalmist does not tell us in the end whether his circumstances improve. He doesn't say everything's better now. He doesn't say, I thought about what God did, and everything's good. And my trouble in life went away. In fact, the assumption of the psalm is that he's still in troubles. He's still walking through a life in the midst of trouble. This is to teach us that finding stability in the present moment comes through resting and trusting in the salvation that God has provided for us in the past. Our stability is resting in what God has done. Not in saying, God, I know you're going to do this right now in my life. You're going to take care of all these problems and make my life better. It's stability through our present troubles. As we pass through walls of water on either side that feel like they're going to collapse on us any moment. And resting and trusting in our God who rules over all of them. Over Christ, and resting and trusting in Christ who rules over all of creation. It's resting in ultimately the redemption that Christ has provided for us. That we know we will make it through the storms of life, through the raging things that go on around us every day, because Christ will bring us through them. Because he went through the storm. He succumbed to the storm. The storm drowned him. And then he came back to life. And now he reigns over the storm. And so you and I can have confidence in the midst of any trouble that we face in life, no matter what it is, no matter what we're going through, that we will make it through the storm. Even if that storm takes our life. And God has graciously given us the words to call out to him when we're in the midst of those storms. This is how much God knows us, that he knows our frame, that he says, I know what's going on for you, and so I'm going to give you the words. I'm going to give you words that you may feel like are even a tad irreverent so that you can know that I am with you no matter what you go through in this life. That's why I love this psalm. And why I hope you come to cherish it. But more importantly, why I hope you come to cherish your Savior and what he's done for you. That you would rest in him through all the storms of your life. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we give thanks to you that you are the Lord who redeems us, your people. That you save us. Lord, the things that frighten us around feel like they are many and that we are powerless before them. But Lord, you are sovereign over them all, and you have given us your Son, who is now sovereign over them all. And Lord, help us to trust him, help us to turn to you, help us to meditate upon his works, that we might have confidence and stability through the storms of life. In Christ's name we pray, amen.